Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Hey everyone, welcome to part two. Well, it's really the first part, we're just trying it again. Of a thrilling episode of the Eating Crow podcast, I have Mike Haworth on the on the call today. Mike, calling in from the UK, how are you today? Really, really good, thank you. Well, thank you for doing this. I know it's late in the evening for you, and I appreciate you taking the time for us. So for me, this is kind of nice because I get to redo all the horrible introduction stuff I did last time and jump right into the meat of who you are and why what you do matters. Mike and I connected on LinkedIn several months ago. I was drawn to his content because... He's a purposeful guy. He's got a great background story. He's been through some things. So when his message of helping out CEOs who struggle feeling their best, and I'm I'm certainly in that category, it resonated. And Mike calls it like he sees it. So Mike, welcome. Welcome to the program. Thank you. So let's just jump right in. How did you start targeting CEOs? I mean, what was the what was the draw to that audience for for what you do? Yeah, imagine that you, I mean, where do we begin? I, I didn't want to. I mean, fundamentally, I, I resisted every single step of the way. It's inevitable. You mentioned before, you know, some of the, the past successes and challenges. And um, me coaching CEOs, me coaching leaders, entrepreneurs, leaders, in many ways, it's a representation of, of, of my business and, and who I am. Okay. So... Not necessarily. Is it because you think? Is it because you think like a CEO? And I'm going to drill back into your background a little bit, which is important. You went through a bit of a rise and fall in your own journey, right? Where you were on top of the physical world, you were a champion lifter, and then you had this dramatic, you know, set of injuries that really changed your your physical, mental, emotional well being. So then you had to figure out, how do I build this back up? And it was some dark times, right? And, yeah. well, you know, as a CEO, I've, I've been kicked in the teeth. I've been knocked down. And sometimes as a CEO, the only person there to pick you up is yourself. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm kind of struggling to convey that specific point. Because you can only you can only play the cards that you dealt with. And mm. if I look back at the... The experience, the understanding, and and the determination that I've had to express in order to be here, it makes sense that I am in an extreme minority. Now, me being me, I don't see it that way. And over time, I used to have uh, in the past, I had a um, a women's online baby change transformation coach uh, program, and then it was men's and. The more and more of this I did, mm. the more and more I realized that I vibe with people that have achieved success, that always want more, that are willing to do the work. And once you get them on board and you're able to facilitate their own achievement towards their, their highest goals, they're really quite easy to get along with. But trying to get to that place is difficult because Imagine that you're successful in all areas. Like you haven't got a clue what you can do because you're you're maxed out, you're tapped out. So, mm-hmm. you know, even conveying this point, it, it's not easy. I'll tell you what is easy. I'm talking about health, talking about habits, talking about 
how we systemize the approach towards achieving the goals that, that we don't even know that we can achieve. Hey, what a, what a bumpy introduction to, to a podcast as well as trying to, trying to convey that. I think it's not easy, but I'll tell you what, though, just to compound and reflect this fairly, you know, just to kind of repeat back what I mentioned before in more clear fashion. Yeah, I've kind of lost it again. And let's just move on. Wow. What a bumpy well, this is. So this is what resonated well with me. I see, and a lot of people do see a lot of individuals hanging on a shingle on LinkedIn and saying they're a coach for something. Hmm. And for some reason, many of them have approached me and said, hey, could you, could you help me find my target audience or give me some advice? And more often than not, I spend weeks, if not months, just trying to help them understand who their real audience is. And when you leaned in on your chair, and for those watching this on YouTube, you gave a simple one, two, three, right? And you said I had several different audiences, but then I started to realize I resonated with people who've had some level of success, understand the work it takes to get there, and are typically willing... By the way, people that have had success typically have had to learn how to, how to change course, either in their business model or something. So those three factors are so important in helping someone talk about their health and make meaningful change. They, they know what success means. They know what it takes to get there and they're willing to change. So I love it, Mike, because most people I talk to can't articulate it. And maybe no one's asked you the question that way because you just arrived at it, <laughs> right? You've just arrived at it. But now when someone asks you why CEOs, you, you just got the answer, right? They've tasted success. They understand the hard work and they're willing to change. I love that. So you, 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 yeah. you transition into habits, which I believe we talked about this last time, is a core part of what you do. And I think it's habit and two other things that you think are critical. What are those two things? Yeah, there's a few considerations in terms of the premise, right? So making small changes in your habits means that you can achieve a sustainable, systemized, productive, positive result, even in an ever-changing environment like a work situation or, sure. or, or the marketplace, which is, you know, the one thing you can rely on is change. So having a solid structure and focusing on small manageable changes gives us some hope to be able to continuously have that certainty that we need in order to to thrive in, 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 in the marketplace and in, in our lives and our business and to be innovative and creative and forward-facing. So number one is habits. And again, they're simple, they're specific, they're actionable, and they're achievable. The other one is to is to have a bigger vision. And mm-hmm. I'm doing this in business all the time, right? You'll do like almost unbelievable future pacing with your business, with your vision, with your, your hockey stick, your J curves, you know, and in health, it's like, I just want to lose a bit of weight. And it's like, okay, that might not necessarily work because it's not as emotionally charged and it's not as, so it's forward facing. And, you know, we do that in our health or we will be wise to do that. Now, straight away, as soon as we open that gap, the question is, well, how on earth do we do that? And we just literally use the systems that are proven within A, the marketplace, and B, business. Mm-hmm. A couple of them know, like, and trust. Mm-hmm. Well, if we know what we're working on in our day-to-day habits and routines, and we learn to enjoy and like the challenge that it brings us, then we can trust that we're going to achieve our highest goals just in the same way that when I add someone on LinkedIn. At some point, they're going to be nurtured to one positive message. You're going to be able to gain some information and enjoy the challenge which life brings mm-hmm. and they're going to be able to know that if indeed they do become one of my clients or they do 
listen to my message, then they're going to trust that they're going to be looked after. Because sure. ultimately, if there's a hundred ways to approach a health challenge, there's only really one way that works for you. You know, there's only really one way that works for you. You said something interesting, and it was subtle, but I think it's very important. In the beginning, you said, because we're in this ever-changing world, it could be our personal lives, the markets that we're in. So these little habits begin to form long-term sustainable successes, right, and movement. And, and for me, those little habits formed 30 years ago. And, and the first one was, to your point, there are very few things I can control during my day. Mm. And at 5.30 in the morning, no one's scheduling a meeting. My wife and my kids were still asleep. I didn't have to go to work yet. And even when I traveled, that time in a hotel was still mine. But as mm. soon as I get into my meetings or a child's practice or somebody gets sick and someone throws me a curveball that becomes the first priority, I lose control of my little habits. And for some people, it might be in the evening when they're home, whatever. But for me, that first thing in the morning allowed me to form a habit that I had control over. So when you talk with your clients, how do you address, because I'm sure CEOs, very busy, they start with, Mike, I just don't have time. How do you help them rethink their approach to time? Nice. So if we imagine, if we go just to one side and we imagine uh, Henry Ford invented the car. Mm-hmm. And he said, if I gave them what they wanted, I'd give them faster horses, right? Because mm-hmm. ultimately, the solution they provided was completely left of field. But to start with, he, he started with, I suspect, what was wrong with the horse. Now, I, I don't like horses, but I imagine that you, <laughs> you know they poo everywhere, they kick people in the heads, and they're unreliable. And this scary, right? I mean, gee whiz, I would never get on a horse and flip and fall over straight away. But we start off with the problem. You have to feed them, they die. You know, there's a long list of things that, that are not good. Right. Um, and then you can create what you want. So I want something that's automatic, something that can work all year round, something that can carry more than one person, something that doesn't die. And that's when you start to form what would be a positive process, a plan, an intention. But we always start with with, with problems, right? We don't, we don't start off solution away. We start off problem where I'm overweight, I've got no energy, I've got no productivity. And we almost get into a position where we're like, well, do we want to improve or not? And are we willing to stick to a process to provide the capacity for our own success? And that's Mm -hmm. unfortunately, when it comes to what I do, often the case that we, especially as men, can unfortunately once again find ourselves in a hole, find ourselves in a stressful situation, find ourselves either overweight, burned out, and I really misses. You know, something triggers our brain and body and to say, you know what, I've had enough, that's it. And there's always that spark that drives the change. So with regards to the habits, very simple. There's a book called A Talent Code by Daniel Cole, which talks about this extensively. In the sense that 50% of your brain is myelin. Now, myelin surrounds the motor neurons of the brain. So if we're going to sheave those motor neurons associated with the positive habits and behaviors that can become part of our identity, Mm -hmm. then we need to be activating them continuously, Mm -hmm. frequently consistently and then the brain will adapt in order to sheathe those motor neurons to make it easier to synchronize and to integrate those habits so that they no longer require conscious decision making Mm -hmm. so the real thing is not doing the thing although that's the first step Mm 
It's sticking to the thing long enough that we don't have to think about the thing. Let's not avoid the reality, which is that the solution is something that we do without thinking, creating a new normal. As an entrepreneur, we have things like the thrive and survive. In weight loss journeys, we have the yo-yo, 85% of people put all the weight back on within 18 months. Mm -hmm. By having a systemized approach where we focus on habits and myelination, we overcome self-sabotage, we overcome guilt, deprivation, restriction. We get out of this up and down mm-hmm. of life and our way and our and our and our habits. So the key thing with this is um, it works. And gee whiz, if you're a CEO, you, you just don't want to be messing around with things that aren't proven that mm-hmm. aren't going to work because then you're just not interested. You get bored. And then it, it stops working. So I think that's another consideration. As long as I know something's going to work, I don't actually care how long it takes. Yeah, I think you make, make a, you make a good point. Unfortunately, you know, and, and I've, I've been in the same space now for 15 years. If people set a goal, which is their weight on a scale, they feel like when they hit that weight, they're done. And unfortunately, that's not how this works. Right. So by forming small habits, by gradually moving yourself through the process, which is the habit formation, when you achieve your target weight, those habits are formed and you don't stop. You continue and you make micro adjustments to whatever, perhaps it's a race or for you, it might be a competition or it might be something else where you can, you know, ramp up. I'm a triathlete. Right. So before a race, I would get pretty busy for six months and maybe double up on my workouts. But after the race, I could get back to a normal, what I call routine. So, you know, I think it's important for, especially for CEOs, because CEOs are so goal-driven. Hey, Mike, just give me a date. Let's get the number. I want to get it. We're done. Eh, No, no, it's not how this works, right? So when you think about a conversation with a typical CEO, Mm. what do you find to be the biggest barrier to success for the average CEO. Nice. So you mentioned before that you were, you were a triathlete. So you've already embodied this within you. It's a mindset. It's an identity. It's mm-hmm. part of who you are. So that's that's the first sticking point that we can reflect and anchor on because it's true because you've just, just said it, right? Mm-hmm. So imagine that you're not you, that you didn't grow up enjoying exercise, that you wasn't a former personal trainer, you didn't love fitness, you didn't go to school and find it as a source of significance, you're not aware, you don't understand nutrition, habits, behaviors, sure. you've never got the positive experience of exercise. Me and you speaking to that person, nothing we say is going to land because there's, there's nothing to anchor on. So traditional health, fitness approaches from a place of authority or experience or of perception from what we know, it's just irrelevant. It just goes in one ear, comes out the other. Oh, that's such a, such a good point, Mike. Mm. Such a good point that people forget is, and I, I, I've been leading a lot of research with stroke recovery groups. And what I've learned in those discussions is the same thing. Our therapists all of the smart people in the room don't resonate as much as another stroke victim resonates to another stroke survivor. When they say, I've been through it, I understand it. Then you see the lights go off. You see them 
go, you, you understand me, you relate to it. And they're, they're right. I, I have not experienced it. It's hard for me to grasp what they're really going through. So that's such a solid point, Mike. So when, when you meet someone who doesn't have that background of the education, but they're a grinder, they've been successful in other parts of their life. How do you pivot <laughs> that energy towards what they need to do next? Nice. There's a couple of things that we, we probably want to look at and they're not easy, mm-hmm. but straight away, there's a book called The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin, which we've talked about this and he was a world title kickboxer, chess player as well. The, the book Finding Bobby Fisher with Lawrence Fishburne was, was his life story. Okay. And we can, we can look at how we can create this rigidity. You know, I've never been good at exercise. I don't like working out. I, I'm not as fit as you. I'm not as motivated as you. We can get all this blinkeredness, this avoidance and this inaccuracy of thought and just say, cool, so you're a CEO of a multi-million pound business. You're a driven, successful leader in all areas was it like that from day one like, oh no day one i didn't have a clue i didn't know what we're doing i was winking it and you know you can have that conversation and really peel it back to the fundamental starting points of perhaps selling lemonade on on their you know back garden that sort of thing you say you know what it's part of who you are but you wasn't always as good as you are now in fact for quite some time from what you're saying a lot of the time you was a not very good B, you just didn't give up, but C, you're always learning. How can we use that with where we are now? And what are the benefits towards your health that's going to serve you in your business? Now, don't forget, they've had this spark. They've had this call to action, and they've looked at this bigger vision, and they're looking towards improving their health, least of all to improve what is important to them. Because if you've worked all your life to succeed as as a business owner and you've got a legacy you want to make sure that you're able to enjoy that. So now the main lever for positive change within that frame is your health to have a quality of life, to be able to be present and positive with your family. So there's a way that we value uh, link the benefits. But, but least of all, we just point out the reality that, you know, if you want to get good at something, you're going to have to be a bit crap. You're better off being a bit crap with me for 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. I'll make you less crap. You'll feel better. You'll be motoring away. But then again, you tend, tend, this is a very novel conversation to have, you tend not to even need to have these conversations. I find in my experience, the more successful someone is, the kinder, the more empathetic, the more understanding, the easier they are to coach. Mm. Like it's, it's, it's extremely remarkable. They just want to be looked after. As odd as that seems, they don't know the, the macros and the complexity. They're just like, you know what? I know what I need to do. Can you guide me through this process? They might not be as effeminate to say that, but that's what it what it's what it comes down to. Mm. It's like I've got you back. And and just knowing that I'm there, you know, and don't get me wrong, I've been to uni, studied sports science and studied studied lots and lots of nutrition and exercise and weightlifting. And now come to the other side of this, and it's someone just knows, they can feel it. They can yeah. feel when someone's got their back. And yeah, it's transformational. I think you're you're hinting at these people have a high level of emotional intelligence. Yes. Right. And at some point, if they've achieved success, and by the way, there are exceptions to every rule, but most of the people that I deal with at the C-suite level that have achieved success have been very good about surrounding themselves with mentors, right? People who mm-hmm. can challenge them in business discussions, question financial decisions, leadership decisions, and coach them. So they're receptive to this model, but they haven't prioritized their health. But as you said, sometimes they have a moment or an issue that that does rearrange it. Hopefully it's not traumatic, right? 
But when they do have that wake up call, they're quick to make the adjustment and say, Mike, you're the expert here. Guide me. And then I'll do the work. And they're also used to having, they're used to being measured, right? Their success is measured every day. So dashboards and results are commonplace. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, accountability is key. And trust is key and, and having a process and, and, you know, working with experts that, that have achieved the results. I, f- I think there's a, there's a value in all of this. And when it comes together, it's really quite magical. And a couple of examples is this time last year when I had a minor infection, got sepsis because of a small knee infection that, sure. that unfortunately kind of turned out catastrophic. And then, you know what? I was like, sorry, yourself out, Mike, come on, play the game. And I lost 32 pounds in 12 weeks. So it's very easy for me to, Talk about, you know, obviously while we're in the business, it's very easy to me to talk about how to achieve something that I've already done. Mm-hmm. Same way kind of like the burnout thing. And I think that will add another level of authenticity. And, you know, I wouldn't buy a Tesla car from, you know, say a salesman that, that drove a petrol car. I wouldn't do that. So I think that that's an added value in the sense that I coach people, specifically men, of a certain demographic and psychographic to achieve results, which I am happy enough to say that, that I have. Mm-hmm. You know, most 40, 50 year old men have a few injuries. Well, you know, so do I. Mm-hmm. And that sort of thing. So I do think that that's, that's not necessarily wholeheartedly always obvious and indeed common. I do think that that's, um, you know, oh, sometimes it's uh, absent. There's the flip side to the earlier point you made, which is mm. people look at, it's someone like you who've achieved success in this space, our trainer, looked the part, et cetera. But they assume it came easy to you. They assume you can't relate to them. But you can, maybe in a different way, but your body's been broken, right? Completely broken, and you had to rebuild it. So in some situations, it was probably worse than what people are going through. And I can certainly relate to, to that process. I In my business, people would say, well, it's easy for you. Well, guess what? Getting up at 530 in the morning is not any easier for me than it is for you. I've just chose to do it and then form the habits. But those first weeks were the same as what you're going to go through. So when you think back to, you know, this pinnacle of your career where you achieved the success as a, as a weightlifting champion, and then you have this injury, do you think it was beneficial or a drawback to recognize what that physical peak was like? Because you tasted it, right? You knew what it took to get there. For someone who has never tasted that, do you think that's better or worse? I think there's there's two ways of looking at it. Number one, I don't know any different. Okay, so this is a difficult question to answer because Put it this way, you have peaks and pits, right? What we're talking about here is achievement and failure, you know, for want of a better phrase. But they're both learning opportunities. Right. So, you know, without that, and I know it it kind of seems a little, it it spanks of kind of opposition towards what we're talking about, which is sustainability. But if we push that to one side and talk about, you know, when things go wrong or when things go well, is it better to ha- to not have that? Well, yeah, but what would life be if it wasn't for the ups and downs? And what would be the learnings if sure. it wasn't for, for the, you know, what would be Everest if it wasn't for the fact that it's meant to be hard and, you know, it's a challenge and it's the highest peak, peak that there is. And, you know, so I think, and, and they're all personal, by the way, they're all specific, and they're all opportunities. And we would be wise to look for them. 
Um, I once spoke to a, a five times Olympic champion Taekwondo player in the 80 kilo category for, for Iran. And to be honest, when I spoke to him, I was working as a doorman in Manchester. One of my friends who was, who was Asian champion Taekwondo player, he introduced him to me. And at the time I thought, hmm, five times Olympic champion, that's a bit of a stretch. I didn't believe it. And he gave me a leaflet which showed. So he straight away got in front, in front of a critical mind. And you know, I looked at him. I was 21 at the time, just before I got my injury, actually. I was working as a doorman in Manchester, and he came into the bar that I was at. There was all like the Asian Taekwondo team. And it was a gay bar. I mean, none of them were gay, right? So I was like, right, okay, make sure it doesn't kick off or anything, because these guys know how to cause a fight. Anyway, push that to one side. By the way, that's another story right there. (laughs) There is. There's a couple of stories in there. But push it to one side. I remember looking at him, and I remember thinking, and don't get me wrong, it was, it was just a Tuesday night, you were just having a drink and a packet of crisps. But I'm thinking, I don't know that he's any more happy than me. And that guy's won five Olympics. And for some strange reason, I anchored on that. And I was like, you want to something here, Mike? Like, unconsciously. Mike, you better make sure you're happy here with what you're doing, with what you've got, with with what you've achieved, and what and where you want to go with this. Because that guy's got five Olympic goals, and, and he's not ecstatic i mean imagine yeah. all the projection of positivity yeah. thinking you're on cloud nine it's like nah maybe not what's he thinking oh if i get a sixth olympic gold then i'll be enough you know that sort of conversation anyway point being i think that the idea of peaks and pits the ups and downs and the achievement and successes they're completely perceptive completely individual and also not to attempt to minimize them yes i do have a few trophies in my cabinet but actually I wasn't that good I just was able to reach a certain level of performance relative to my my capacity what's novel for me is I started out the worst in the gym the most overweight the stiffest the distance traveled equals the success achieved I'm the guy that no one would have bet on Right. And and yet here I am. That sort of fuel, that sort of fire, that's the sort of thing that, that CEOs kind of have, right? It's like, oh, do yeah. you know what? I'm going to do this come what may. And that's where it's quite a painful conversation to come at because we are different because we've sometimes we've only really had ourselves to rely on. And that's, sure. that's a novel situation. But, yeah, I mean, if we just go back – a few steps. The power of reflection is key. I mean, gee whiz, in every single day you have ups and downs. Come on. You know, you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to not have them, would you? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, such is life. If we consider the other option, again, my brain is struggling to even even consider that. I think um I think life would be boring without the terrific ups and downs of life. Yeah, definitely. And is that something you weave into the programs for these CEOs, which is those appropriate ups, right? To make sure they celebrate those, they recognize what they are, because they will have downs. They will have a week where, for example, they don't lose any weight. They don't gain any strength. They feel like their workouts are drudgery. And then they'll have those weeks where they, Mike, I, I crushed this PR and I've lost 10 pounds. I've never felt better. And it's it's important for them to remember those days during the valleys, right? The peaks and the valleys. It's a good point. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, sometimes like, for example, it's like week three or four, you're like, you get a bit of a lull. Mm-hmm. I've created a little bit of a, of a mind of it. I mean, halfway in, which talks about this, like when you're halfway into transformation, week six, you're far enough from the beginning and, and you know, you're in the middle, right? You, you're going to be a little bit 
bored, there's no urgency, you might be a little bit complacent, the novelty's worn off. Absolutely. And you might you might fall back a little bit. I love, and this is odd, but I love, and I mean the word love, when clients have a bad week, a bad mm-hmm. few weeks. I've had clients that have joined the program and the entire world fell apart not long after they joined for reasons that we could never have predicted, by the way. Because here's my mindset. It's like, I know what I'm doing. We can optimize this. We can make it work. And we can come towards the end of the process and reflect on why what we did was the best option at the time. Like, it's a fantastic mindset to be in. Mm -hmm. Like, come what may. In the past, don't get me wrong, when I first had this, Imagine personal trainer, me, right? Numbers, spreadsheet, ask this question, ask that question, you know. That's how you were trained. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you, you're like so many levels of ignorance, you could suggest, but just lack of awareness. Whereas now, I'm just like, dude, I'm going to look after you. Like, just bear in mind, we are going to get a great result. And this is going to be a lot easier than you think. Here's a quick one, right? When my clients leave, for example, a call, and they have goals, and they're easy, I'm like, be mindful. Easy to do is easy not to do. Be mindful. Mm -hmm. We want them to be in between easy and difficult where we have to remain focused and pay attention. But if we don't, then we lose that. And It's almost like we may as well not even attempt to use this methodology Mm -hmm. because it's a balance. You know, that, that word balance you know we avoid the excess we avoid the egotism we avoid the unconsciousness it is a balance sure it it really really is so when when someone is looking at their day how much time do you spend with a a ceo breaking down their day and helping them reestablish their priorities is that part of what you do yeah so during the coaching call we'll reflect on the achievements okay okay so i want to know what's gone well now if you're driven you're committed You've got a lot of data, you know, a lot of accountability, a lot of structures. No one might ask you, what's going well? Mm-hmm. Give me three things that have gone really well that you're happy with. You know, and it's it's a very novel way to start a coaching call, but you do want them in the right part of the brain thinking about what has gone well and recognizing that and realizing that so that they can then look towards what else they can achieve. Because it's easy. We get busy. We've got stressful lives. We've got goals and targets. We've got ungrateful brains. I mean, it's superpower for sure. achievement, but but at the same time, it lowers your your well being. So we're always going to start off with that, All right? We're always going to start off with that. Then we're going to move into these habits. Then we're going to move into you know the basics: exercise, nutrition, behaviors, whatever the main focus is. A lot of guys like you know sometimes you drink if you've got a, a drink habit they want to knock on it. It depends upon where they are within the process. But mm-hmm. the key thing is that we're, we're getting the truth on the table that we can then use to set some meaningful goals. Above and beyond that, they'll do some homework to improve the mindset. Mm-hmm. We'll track the data. And that's pretty much it. What I like to do above and beyond within that is just chat and just vibe and just see how they're doing. Because above and beyond this, don't get me wrong, you're coaching muscle gain, you're coaching energy, you're coaching positivity, you're coaching a person. Mm-hmm. It's like, are you good? Like, how are things? And when you're you're teaching them to be to look and feel their best, but also become better role models, which is something that's in your tagline, mm-hmm. who are you speaking to them about who they're becoming a role model for? It's yeah, important. It's, it's kind of part of their why, I would, th- I would assume. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> in terms of the value chain, uh, mm-hmm. family. Okay. Absolutely, absolutely, family. Because does it even need, need, need explaining, right? If you're conscious, then then the more conscious you are, the, the more aware that you become about the influence you have on each other. Like it's mm-hmm. overwhelming, right? I mean, it's just like wow. But I don't know. I don't know. This is probably an area where many CEOs don't realize this, Mike, right? They don't realize the subtle behaviors and the influence they have over their family, particularly their children and their spouse and their children look at them differently, right? Their children look at them as like, as if whatever Mike does, I should be following, right? And, and sometimes it's conscious, some, sometimes it's subconscious. Like they, if you have a bottle of water in your desk, they may not realize it today, but three weeks from now, they're going to remember the bottle of water. If you have a 32-ounce soda pop, they'll remember that too, right? Your spouse looks at you a bit differently because you're partners, right? And they want quid pro quo. Like, if I'm committing to this and I'm doing the work, I'd like you to be doing the same thing. So it's a different, it's a different type of relationship. But I think they get so caught up in providing and working and thinking they've got to put you know, money in the bank and and they forget to realize that if they would ask their children or their spouse, their number one priority would probably be their health. But they don't, maybe they don't process that. Yeah. You've seen that Rocky film. Uh, oh, yeah. Kid, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, have you seen the one with a child where the kid's like doing all the things that Rocky does? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It hits me that. It hits me that. I mean, kids pick up everything. They do. You know, kids pick up everything. Whatever... I bring to the table in my life, whatever impact I have on those around me. That comes from society, my upbringing. You know, we can become cognizant of this stuff. It stops with me. Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah, it stops with me. Like Once you become aware, then the question is, what are you going to do about it? And that then becomes an overwhelmingly powerful way to to question, you know, like, who are you? What are you doing? You know, that that sort of thing. Because the last thing I want is for my problems to be someone else's problems. Sure. And and I tell you what, if if it means that I've, you know, I hire a coach just to level me out, just to straighten me out, then, then I'm in. Yeah. When you get into the heart of the program for your clients, what's the bigger struggle? Is it nutrition or exercise? You don't need to exercise. Mm, interesting. You don't, you don't even need to. Exercise is like getting into your body, it's being mindful, having a day-to-day routine. It's a form of escapism consciously. Your nutrition as well is another one because that's a, like a tip of the iceberg situation based upon your behaviors, mm-hmm. on your habits, on your emotional well-being. I'm going to suggest that getting to a place where you have control of your nutrition You've improved your relationship with your food and yourself and your capacity and ability to maintain such during change. It is something that men struggle with, Mm -hmm. least of all, because they might not want to have a conversation about emotional eating and self-sabotage, you know, which is just generally speaking as an aside note, guys will exercise towards their fitness goals, whereas when I used to run a women's program, that they lean into the nutritional changes and the, the dieting more. Men like to work out, but I tell you what, you can run for an hour and burn, what, 800 calories. If you eat for an hour, 
you're talking eight thousand calories. I yeah. mean, it's a bit of an extreme example. But um yeah, the unconscious mechanisms, obviously the, the obesity crisis, seventy eight percent of people people in America are overweight, so it's uh, it's, it's going wrong in a big, big way. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be be very, very blunt and, and say it's the nutrition, it's the application of conscious purposeful effort, which is shining a light on well if you're happy, then how come you've got the you're still struggling with these? I mean, I wouldn't be so forward, but the question to ask is, why is one struggling with these, you know, sugary, high carb, you know, this alcohol, these, these donuts, and and this chocolate? You know, what are we serving here? Yeah, it's the what, uh, what are we sedating? What are we medicating? It's the only drug you can't quit entirely, right? You have to eat, and you have to drink something. So you, it's not like you can quit alcohol. You can quit alcohol. You can quit smoking. You can quit a lot of things, but you can't quit eating. I had this conversation today with a coaching client. I was like, right? yeah, massive. Side note, I was talking on another call this today about addiction. Mm-hmm. I used to be a gambler. So one time I was on, on casino, I, I spent £16,500 one night in the casino. Like, woof. Now that's easy. You just don't do that again. My brain was like, Mike, don't do that again. And that was the end of that one. Easy. But with food, you can't just not eat. Yeah, good point. Like you can't just not eat. You've got temptations, you've got distractions, you go to a supermarket and there's do you know how many hundreds of types of chocolates there are in a supermarket? Well, and think about how many social interactions are driven around food and drinking. So you're especially this part of your job. Yeah. You're around it every day. Every day. So you hit a couple of things that are important. Number one, you have to get at there is emotional eating, right? Where mm. you're just doing it subconsciously and you don't realize it's happening. My mom has been challenged with that all of her life, still is. It's a big yeah, struggle. Me too. me too. And then there's the social eating where you tend not to make the right decisions. You eat too much in a sitting and it's not emotional. It's part of the setting you're in, but you don't know how to turn it off and, and focus and be in the moment. So you made an interesting point about becoming friends with food again, right? And understanding it And food to me is it should be enjoyed. It should never be a negative thing. It should always be a positive thing, but you have to reeducate yourself around it. I think people forget that good, healthy, nutritional food actually tastes incredibly well. It doesn't leave an aftertaste. It doesn't make you feel sick later. And it doesn't make you feel guilty. Getting to that is hard because we want instant gratification on the oh. fat, sugar, salt hit that we get. We want more of it, and then we regret it later. So it is, I would agree with you. You know, you can, washboard abs are made in the kitchen. I do tell people, if your purpose is weight, you have to really pay attention to the kitchen. If your purpose is functional health, right? I want to be a provider. I want to be able to work around my house. I want to be able to lift objects or take care of friends or do physical labor. Exercise is going to be important, right? To keep your kinetic chain and your musculoskeletal structure. But to your point, you don't have to be a power lifter. You don't have to be a triathlete. There are some very simple, basic things you can do with your own body weight that would sustain you the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. And finding whatever that is for you is something that, that you have to go out there and implement and test and reiterate until and you know it, it is trial and terror that the easy way to bypass that just just to make a very hopefully useful point is you know what did you like when you were younger 
Mm-hmm. Like, what, what sport did you like when you were younger? Right. Let's cut a long story short. Let's go back to that because you might well find that there's your answer. That's the only reason I do weightlifting. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason because when push comes to shove, I don't need to try to, even with flipping one leg, I don't need to try to enjoy it because I already do. Mm-hmm. You know, plenty of times is you know you'll 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 find people in situations where they're they're purchasing exercise and diet plans, and you know if we go back a little bit, like no one knows you the, the way that you know you, what you like, what you dislike, what affects your gastrointestinal tract, what your sleep pattern is great, what an ideal working day is like when you when you're not stressed, and that's a really transformational important message because. The mechanics, you know, what's your goal? What's the point? You know, what 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 is it that you're trying to achieve? That that's essential because then you can start to throw strategies to that. You know, tweak the environment, pave the critical, mm-hmm. pave the path. You know, point out the critical steps. You can do all the the structural stuff once you've got a clear clear premise and purpose. But you know, on a simple level, it's like, can we have some fun? Mm-hmm. Can we laugh? Can we not be serious? How about we do that? You know, you burn more calories laughing than crying. Can, can we? Can we just? You know, not. Can we lighten up? Like, you know, it's like things aren't that bad. You know, and even if they are, it's like let 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 smile. You know, like you challenge yourself. Is mm-hmm. we've, we've really that very easy to take ourselves too seriously. You know, I'm still at the back of my mind. I'm still beating myself up for the terrible start to this this podcast, right? But I'm like, it is what it is, what it is. But sure. that, that's that's a sticking point. That that that's something that we we want to get out of. And the only way to get out of that is 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 again by being by being crap. Be okay with failure. Like you fail until you don't, right? Yeah, I think one of the things I want to leave our audience with that you said very early on that was really important, and this is true for. Someone seeing a physician, a doctor, whatever, as you said, look, I've got you. I've got you. We're going to be successful. It's going to be okay. I think once people hear that, it should open them up to, all right, Mike, what's the next step, right? What's the next step to success? You've already told me that the end of the book is going to be good. So now I'm a little more comfortable reading the first chapter and knowing that it's going to be a process What's the longest you've ever worked with a client? The longest I've ever worked with a client is someone I'm currently still working with who I love to support and coach. And he was a personal trainer client of mine. And he was in in a right hole, as it turned out. So I think something like four or five years. Excellent. Um, Excellent. Yeah. Now, the fascinating point with that is you don't intend Mm-hmm. To, to coach someone for that long it's, it's a resource-based based program but when you change someone's life it's like you know this, this is what happens you know, yeah. clients they literally like give you referrals the, the, you know it's um quite weird isn't it the more you help someone the more people you have to help and the longer you want to help them for right so it's, well I, I read that in your testimonials that there are people that certainly feel like they want you as part of their life going forward whether it's in a coaching role or a friendship role or just a quick text every now and then to say, how you doing? I think that's important. And I think a lot of people forget that if you do this right in your particular role, and even in my role as a consultant, you want to work with people who you can relate to and like, right? So even this podcast, I've done so many episodes, but I've created relationships with people because I'm fascinated by their story. 
and you want to figure out how to stay in touch with them and learn from them going forward. So I think it's it's probably a two-way street. Mike, do you want to share with anybody how you structure your program, how it's priced? Is it all customized depending on the customer? Or how do you typically do it? I want to leave our audience with that. Yeah. So you're absolutely right in the sense that it is customized, although there is clear processes in the program offers. I always am mindful that I want to make sure that I can help somebody and that they're a good fit for, least of all because of diabetes and ADHD. So when I bring someone on board, I want to make sure that that we're gonna we're gonna open up and we're gonna change each other's lives and that mm-hmm. that, that it's safe for us to proceed. So yeah, it's it's transformational from the beginning. So in terms of the, the strategic habit based changes, simple. And you can take this and just use it. Mm-hmm. Changing two to three things per week, you know, the mm. Kaizen approach. Changing two or three things, manageable, specific, fundamental, uh, each and every week, over 12, 13 weeks, mm-hmm. that adds up to 20 or 30 habit-based changes. You're going to be in a much better place just by mm-hmm. doing that. And again, that's something that we can all implement. Another consideration is four-week blocks. Mm. I ask my clients when I coach them, give me four weeks to map out the specifics around what we need to focus on, what the pinch points and triggers are, what mm-hmm. the structure should look like, and what your bigger vision is. Gee whiz, most people, when they make a decision they want to improve their health, they want it yesterday. Yeah, of I course they do. It. Think about it. If we, if we give these things four weeks, then we can really diagnose the problem really accumulate some solid aims towards a solution. And then, for example, at the back end, the last four weeks, you can, you can really go for it, right? You can achieve yeah. in that sort of time. So that's the way that I would map out the overall program, the overall process. On top of that, the structure, the mindset syllabus, this personal development programs within that. And then you know, we get to, to dive into their successes, their challenges, right. gain more insight and awareness of their situation, hold them to account and ask them, how have you got on? Because here's the devil's in the detail. Yeah. The values in the implementation a lot of the time we know what to do, but if we're not doing it, then how do we even know? And, you know, I said it when I posted today, knowing and not doing is the same as not doing. So a lot of the value is is in the result for me. Mike, thanks so much for taking some time today. I know our audience probably learned quite a bit and I will put how to reach you in the show notes so people can find out how to learn more about your program. I'm grateful to have you on the show and look forward to staying connected, buddy. Thank you. Thanks for checking out Eating Crow. Like and subscribe so you never miss a video.